0: And so hopefully today we'll show you from God's Word some things that we can do to be strong in the Lord. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Father, we pray that you'll bless the time that we have together this afternoon. Lord, what a joy. Ah, to think of our salvation. Oh, we're so excited today to know that we're saved. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry or fret. And then to think that we have the blessed privilege of having Your Word in our hands. Lord, many of us have two or three copies. Oh, and what a joy. Any time that we want, we can come to it and pick it up and read it and hear from You and have Your Holy Spirit stir our hearts to learn truth, to have us Drawn closer to You. Lord, even the conviction that we so don't enjoy all the time, we are thankful for. We're grateful that it's in our lives and that You're using it to to polish us and to perfect us and to get us to the place that You would want us to be. Lord, we're thankful for the time of fellowship and what a joy it is in this church and the folks that You have so fitly brought together to be a part of this church family. And Lord, what a joy it is to fellowship with them in Your Word, to be able to spend time together and encourage one another in the Christian life. We pray that as we look into the pages of this particular passage this afternoon, that You will guide and direct our hearts and that Your Holy Spirit will lead us so that we can understand very clearly how we can be strong in the Lord. That You would allow us then to put into practice the things that we'll find from Your Word today. And allow them to be a part of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find here that Paul is teaching Timothy. He's talked about the fact that he has suffered some things. He has encouraged Timothy to hold the form of sound doctrine, the sound words that he had been taught. And uh, he says here as we get to verse, uh, chapter number 2, He says, Thou, therefore, my Son, speaking of Timothy. He uses a phrase here, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And over and over throughout Scripture we find this this phrase, Be strong, be strong, be strong, be strong. And every time we find it, it is never in reference to our strength, is it? It's to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in His grace, to be strong in the things that He is allowing us to be a part of. And so one of the things we need to understand is, and I think John so adequately says it in Scripture, is we must learn the secret to allowing us to decrease and allowing Him to increase in our life. If we want God's strength more in our lives, we need to get to a place where He increases and we decrease. And only as He increases and we decrease are we going to start seeing the strength that He so adequately tells us to have projected in our lives and given to us in such a great way. There are several things we find in chapter number 2. And uh, if you have a study Bible, this chapter so easily outlines itself to these points. But there are several things that I believe that Paul teaches Timothy here in chapter number 2 regarding the idea of being strong in the grace uh, that is in Christ Jesus. And I think the first one we find as we get to verse number 2. He says, The thing that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same... Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And I I think the first thing that we find from chapter number 2 regarding being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is that we dedicate ourselves to be a teacher of the things of God. To go out and to disciple someone. Uh, I was in a soul winning conference a number of years ago uh, and uh, they were uh, a lot of young preacher boys in the congregation. In fact, very few in that particular conference very few older preachers in that meeting, which was kind of unusual to me. I'm used to seeing some gray hairs in, the, in a crowd like that when you go to a conference like that. And uh, mostly young preacher boys. And there was a, a missionary, and if I mentioned his name, probably some of you would know him. He's a fairly well-known missionary and has been, among fundamental circles, a fairly successful in ministry uh, according to some of the standards that people put out there for missionaries. In doing a work for the Lord, and he was speaking, and he made the statement in his course of soul uh, soul winning, teaching on soul winning. He said that nowhere is it commanded in Scripture that we are to disciple anyone. And I sat there as I cringed, and I thought, Lord, there are a lot of young preachers that are in this room listening to the influence of this man who got up and said, it's all about winning people to Christ, but you are not responsible to disciple. And I thought, I don't know what Bible he's getting that from, but it certainly wasn't my Bible. Because part of the great commission that God gives us is that we are to teach them to observe all things whatsoever He had commanded us. That we are to know this book. We are to study it to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, meaning that the work we have to do is to take the Word of God, to be well studied in it, and to pass it on to someone else. To be able to disciple them. And one of the areas that I think is, is necessary for you and I to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is we must be strong in the idea and in the, in the drive and the purpose and the diligence of finding a, a Christian or a brother in Christ and doing what we can to disciple them. It may be somebody in this room. And it doesn't, can I help you with this? It doesn't have to be somebody that knows less of the Bible than you do. There are times we come together and we learn Scripture together and there are things that we have questions on, we ask each other, and we help each other with. Can I tell you this? All of that is part of the discipling process. Those things that we have learned, the things that we've heard among many witnesses, the Bible says, the same commit thou to faithful men. We're to teach those things to them, not just, not just preach one time. And I, I think sometimes we get the idea that uh, if we come to church on Sunday and we get the message that the message is good for that hour and then we leave and uh, we, we kind of go our way and uh, by the time of the evening rolls around, we've forgotten what the message even was that morning. This is something beyond that. This is getting to the place where we've so committed it, we've so taught it, to someone else, that it is embedded in their hearts. It's hidden there. It's something that is, is they're not going to lose it. And there needs to be a revival of men and women of God who say we're going to be strong in this thing of discipling people, teaching the, the Word of God to people. Now, let me help you with something. If you're going to disciple somebody, you're going to have to know Scripture. So that kind of helps us to realize that we need to start studying it, don't we? Not just doing our daily Bible reading, but spending time in it to pour over it, to learn some things from it. We're to be strong in this area of discipling. And the Bible says that we're to commit these things to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I went to El Salvador a number of years ago on a missions trip with a dear friend of mine, Brother Bob Green, who's uh, the deputation director at BIMI. And uh, he was a dear friend of our family. He's known me since before I was born And um, I kind of grew up around him and Miss Patsy, and then they went off to the mission field for eight years. They were in El Salvador. Four years, they planted one church and I think it was San Miguel. And then they came back, and they were here on furlough and went back over and went to another city uh, a couple hours away and started another church. And then they came back because of some uh, political unrest down there, and they weren't able to go back for a while And uh, while they were here in the States, they uh, became a deputation director. He helped pastor a struggling church for a while, and he was just being used of the Lord to win people to Christ here in the States. A number of years ago, we went back on the, I think it was the 25th or so, maybe 30th anniversary of the establishing of the very first church. And he invited me to go over with him, and I said, Brother, I'd love to go over there. And we went and spent about four or five days over in El Salvador, and uh, from the moment we arrived, which was on a Friday afternoon, uh, the fellow that picked us up was one of the men from the church there. He began to drive us around. And we began to go from church to 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 church. And every place he went, Brother Bob Green knew the pastor and all oh, he'd been praying for him. And Sunday morning came, and they took us to the first church they started, the one that was having the big anniversary. And they had an auditorium that seated about 600. It was an open-air auditorium in the back. They had, had sidewalls uh, with the bricks. that had the little breezeway slots through them. You know what I'm talking about. But they had walls in that roof, and then the back area was open. And they could sit about 600 people in the auditorium. And for the first service that morning... They filled the auditorium and they had people standing and and waiting outside the doors to hear. They finished that service and that group left and another 600 people came and another group of people outside waiting. On the third service, they had me preach through a translator. And all of those people left and another 600 people came in and another standing room only outside. When I got done preaching that morning after the third service, they loaded me up in a car with the translator, drove me about 40 minutes away. And we preached in an outdoor church that had about 200 people. When I got done preaching there, they loaded me up and drove me about 45 minutes away to another church. And it was another open pavilion. And I preached again. I preached six times that day. By the time I got done at the end of the day, I was exhausted. We started at 8 in the morning. We finished up about 10 o'clock that night. Just driving and preaching, driving and preaching. Brother Bob, the guy I had went to, had gone another way and he was doing the same thing. Another preacher, friend of ours that went, Brother Cooley, went with us. He would go and he went another direction with an interpreter and he was preaching in all these churches. And over the years, he had been, I think it was about 25 or 30 years since he had started the first church. He only planted two of them. But in those years that he was away, those two churches had planted over 70 other churches. And I'm not talking about ones that ran 5 or 10. I'm talking about churches that were powerful, soul winning churches, that were reaching hundreds of people to Christ. Every every service. The main service that we went to that morning, there were six or seven preacher boys on the front row that had been through the Bible college and been ordained and were waiting for churches to go pastor. The, the, the senior pastor of that church Told Brother Bob, he said, we're on target to start one church every ten months. And he says, I've got a waiting line of preacher boys ready to go. Folks, I came back to the United States of America convicted. The same, commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also. I read a statement one time from a missionary and he said, the success of our churches is not in its seeding capacity, but in its sending capacity. Where are the missionaries out of the pews of Kepha Heights Baptist Church? Going to a mission field somewhere, planting a church, whether it be here in the states or overseas. Where are the young people that are being raised up to serve the Lord? We're failing this area of discipleship. One of the things that Brother Bob did in those two churches that I look back, and as a young preacher, he had the wisdom to do. He not only planted the church, but he taught that church to plant a church. And over seventy churches—I don't know how many they have now—I would suspect well over a hundred that are down there in El Salvador. And I came back to the church that we had pastored, and my dad had pastored for a number of years, and I had the chance to pastor. It had been there almost 40 years, and in 40 years we had only planted two churches. In a land that has such religious liberty as America, one of my best friends in the world that I grew up across the street from that was my assistant pastor for a number of years in the church in Florida came to me one day and said, I've got a pastor. He said, God's put it on my heart. He was weeping. He said, You've preached me out of here, he said. <laughs> he said, I've got to go pastor. He went to a place where the closest Bible preaching church to him is about 45 minutes away. There are still places in the United States of America that are starving to death for a solid Bible preaching church to come and be a part of. It. There are mission fields all over the world. There are more missionaries returning from the field in the last 15 years than there are sending, being sent to the field. Because we're failing in this area. The same commit thou to faithful man. You know, my goal as a pastor is not to build the biggest church in Festus. My goal as a pastor is to teach people in this church to love God to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to mature in this Word and study it, and then go and do the same thing somewhere else. I think the sign of a healthy church is people coming in, getting saved, growing, and being sent. We fail in this area many times. He says that we ought to be teaching, committing to faithful men, but that it says, "...who shall be able to teach others also." The second thing I believe that the Bible teaches here in chapter number 2 is that we need to be a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse number 3, "...thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." And if any, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned? Except he strive lawfully. And can I tell you this? We need to have a revival among God's people of enduring hardness. We have we have grown so accustomed to the ease of life in the country that we live in regarding religious matters that we are now starting to face a need for some Christians that will stand and, and take a stand on the Word of God. But the problem is. Every time we take a stand on the Word of God where there's a need to take a stand on the Word of God, it's going to cost us something. There's going to be a price to be paid. And there's a a, a neglect, it seems like, among good churches in America for those that are willing to endure the hardness that it's going to take. For you and I to take a stand and to be steadfast on the things of God. I'll tell you, you're going to lose some friends along the way. You're going to get some ridicule along the way. You're going to get people that are going to, going to criticize you and, and they're going to question your motives. And there's going to be people that will even get angry at you and curse at you if you take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order for you and I to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you and I need to learn to endure hardness as a good soldier. I never ceased to be amazed at young men sometimes that were in our Christian school. They hated our standards. They hated our rules. Mom and Dad made them go to our school. I can't wait. My mom and dad, they put all these rules on me. They send me to school and I have standards I have to follow. I'm going to go and join the Marines. I'll show them. You know, I don't know how many times that happened. And then to watch years later as these young men come back. Sometimes tears streaming down their face and they say, thank you. Thank you for teaching me some things. It took a while for them to realize that there were some things in life that were worth enduring hardness for. Can I tell you this? There are some things in the case of Christianity that are worth enduring hardness for. There needs to be a revival of God's people saying, I'm willing to endure the hardness. If it's going to cost me to stand for the Word of God, then it's going to cost me. We're going through some times right now that there are preachers that are being threatened with being put in jail. Churches that have been fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for meeting together. Just for meeting. And there's a price to be paid. If God tarries His coming much longer, there's going to come much steeper prices to be paid, I'm afraid. Are we willing? Are we, are we so committed to the Lord Jesus Christ that we are willing to endure the hardness? The way that a soldier would endure hardness. Number three. Verse number six. The Bible says, "...the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits." Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Remember that Christ Jesus of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the Word of God is not bound. Can I tell you this? We need to be an enduring husbandman. One that endures. He says in verse number 8, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 7. Consider what I say. The Lord giveth the understanding of all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein, notice he says this, I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Paul says this, even unto bonds. He said, they've thrown me in jail for this. For doing, for doing nothing more than the work of God. For we going out into the fields and trying to reach people with the gospel, they've thrown me in prison for this. Can I tell you this? I've, I've been out knocking on doors and I've shared the gospel and I've handed out tracts. I have yet to be thrown in jail for it. What if that time comes? Can I tell you this? That if we are not willing to do those things when there is no persecution, we won't be willing to do them when there is. I've heard people say, Boy, if that was me, I'd sure I'd sure go to jail over it. We don't even have to do that now. So why aren't we doing it now? He says, But the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Look with me, number four. Verse number fourteen. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can I tell you this? We need to be an approved workman. We need to be an approved workman. What do we mean by approved? We need to make sure that we study so that we are well equipped to do the work. There are some men that are craftsmen at their trade. To see the meticulousness with which they do their work. How, how well done it is. And then there are those that think that they are craftsmen at their trade. We all know who those are, Right? We've seen those before. Can I tell you this? I would like to think that when it comes to the Word of God, you and I are craftsmen at the trade. We know it well. It's what we love, it's what we cherish, it's what we pour ourselves into with all of our hearts. To know the Word of God, to study it, workmen that need not to be ashamed. I believe this is how we are strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As we get over to verse number 20, he says, But in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he will be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet, M-E-E-T, means suitable, for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Can I tell you this? We need to be an honorable vessel. If you and I are going to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, we need to be an honorable vessel. When I was a kid, my mom and dad would take us up to Connorsville, Indiana, where they grew up. And uh, we all do this, don't we? We like to to torment our kids by taking them to the places we used to haunt when we were kids. And we talk about now. There's where little Susie lived, and I used to throw rocks at her. And your kids are in the back seat playing their video games. They can't. They don't. They could care less. They, they don't care. Oh, there's the old covered bridge. We used to. It got to where my sister and I could give the tour of Connersville better than my mom and dad. There were things they forgot that we would be like. Oh, hey, there's that house. There's that. House. We could give it better than my mom and dad. They used to tell us of the times that and and. They would tell us things, and they wouldn't go into all the detail of it. They would talk about uh, the fact that they would have, uh, they'd wake up in the morning, and there would be snow laying on their covers because of the cracks in the windows. They would talk about the fact that they were so poor, their mom and dad were so poor, they couldn't afford galoshes or, or snow boots, so they would use the bread bags. And my dad and mom used to say, well, they'd put these bread bags on our feet and send us to school. We'd walk in the snow. They didn't tell me they had shoes on. I'm sitting here thinking, poor mom and dad, this little plastic bag and their feet are freezing, turning black and blue. Well, they had shoes on. They were just keeping the water off of it. They didn't. T- I was in Florida. I didn't know about that stuff. They didn't tell me that, you know. How they used to go to a house where their grandma or their aunt lived that did not have running water. And they had a particular jar in the house that was used for a particular purpose. And one of the... Chores that my mom and dad had when they were kids is they had to take that jar out and they had to empty it every morning. Some of you know what I'm talking about because I see you smiling and nodding your heads. Can I tell you that was a vessel of dishonor? You say, why is that? Because it wasn't fit for the master's use. Could you imagine? Company coming over and mom saying, Go get that particular jar, I gotta use it for the gravy. But there were certain dishes that she had like that, and weren't there? They were the special dishes. You know what I'm talking about. They had a special place on the shelf, right? Men, we know what that is. We don't get the special dishes. The one that our wife loves more than life itself, we don't get the special dishes. No, 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 no. People we don't even really care about a whole lot when they come to visit. We love them, but we don't really like them. You know, those kind of people. They get the special dishes. Why? Because they're set apart for that use. Can I tell you this? There are vessels that are clean and ready for the Master to use. And there are vessels that are unclean and are not fit for the Master's use. How are we strong in the graces in Christ Jesus? We better be a vessel of honor. We better be a vessel of honor that is sanctified, it's purged and suitable, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. And then lastly, verse number 24, And the servant of the Lord, <laughs> I love that, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are ca- taken captive by him at his will. Can I tell you this? My dad made a statement years ago. When he made the statement, I thought, that's, that's an odd statement for a pastor to make. He got up in church one day and he said, God does not need any more pastors. And God does not need any more missionaries he doesn't need any more Sunday school teachers. He doesn't need any more bus workers. He doesn't need any more choir members. doesn't need any more deacons. What he needs are some more servants. He said if God would have more servants, he would have all the preachers he needs and he would have all the missionaries he needs. He would have all the deacons, all the choir members, all the Sunday school teachers, all the bus workers, all the soul winners, And I began to think on that, and I began to look at some of the books that the apostles wrote. It's interesting how many times the apostles would begin their letters, not always, but many times. James, a servant of the Lord. Paul, a servant of the Lord. How are we strong in the Lord, in the grace that He gives? We need to be diligent teachers. We need to be a soldier that endures hardness. We need to be a husbandman that works and labors in the field and endures the hardship of the day. We need to be workmen that are not ashamed. We need to be a vessel that is sanctified and set apart for the Master's use. And we need to be a servant that learns to serve with a humble spirit. Notice he says in verse 24, "...the servant of the Lord..." Must not strive, but be what? Be what? Gentle unto people in the church. Uh, It says all men, doesn't it? You know, I fear. I'm all for preaching hard the whole counsel of God. I'm all for defending Scripture. And there are times. But you know, there are times that I believe that we have... Not been gentle with people. And the price has been paid for that. You say, well, that's a a sign of weakness, Pastor, to be gentle. No. Not according to 2 Timothy 2. That's a sign of strength. It's a sign of strength. Let's stand together. Father, we're thankful for Your Word, how it instructs us, how it guides us. I pray that you would bless it and use it. Lord, I pray that you help us to learn from it, to come to its pages, expecting it to show us not only what we're to do, but how we're to go about doing it. I pray that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings, with the messages upon our hearts. Lord, may we not quickly forget them, but may they go with us to our homes. May we meditate upon them throughout this day today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.